listening to the Necromaniacs Podcast. Hello, everyone. It's that time of week again for another episode of the Necromaniacs Podcast. How's it going, Jeff? Going pretty good, man. How are you? I'm hanging in there. Um, you know, I watched a couple things uh, over the last couple days. That, uh, that were pretty good. One thing I didn't like very much that I was actually looking forward to seeing, and I was a little bit disappointed by it. So, hmm. What would that be? Well, it's just, that was a film that I remember reading about in Rumorg magazine that was called The Dark and the Wicked, and it sounded really cool. Oh. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Yeah, I've been seeing that around a lot. Yeah, yeah, I've been seeing that around lately, and I saw it got, has a very high percentage on Rotten Tomatoes, um, that can either be like a red flag <laughs> or yeah. or a good thing when it comes to horror on on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. But I saw something like ninety percent. I was like, oh, okay. Well, people like this. I got to check it out. But uh, you say no go. I just wasn't into it, man. It was very. Uh, I don't know. It just it was one of those films that there, there's another movie out there that werewolf movie I didn't really like either, and everyone was like all stoked about it. And uh, oh, I think I told you to watch that, right? Yeah, did you watch? Did you actually watch it? The the Wolf of Snow Hollow, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. I, I liked it. It I wasn't like, uh, you I, know, I didn't like it, it. great or anything, but I enjoyed it. I didn't. I didn't you care. weren't feeling it. I didn't care for it. Um. So yeah, this is like the same thing. I was like, the, the plot sounded interesting. Uh, you know, it was supposed to be like really atmospheric, and you know, anything that takes place in the woods, I'm I'm usually into that kind of stuff. And I just, yeah. I found myself like checking my texts and stuff during the movie. And I was like, man, this is kind of boring. And I'm like, how much more of this do I have left? You know, and I was like waiting for the ending. And I just was like, oh, yeah, this is like very predictable to me. Oh, man, that's disappointing to hear. I'm probably still going to watch it, but that's disappointing to hear. I, I felt the same way about that movie Relic. Came out like four months back or so. Yeah right around when the pandemic was like starting four or five months ago, however long it's fucking been. Mm -hmm. Um, Got a lot of hype, a lot of attention. And I I watched it and completely forgot about it when I turned off the TV. Like, just like, I I know I saw something, but none of it stuck with me. So I kind of found the love for that a little baffling. I I didn't even see it because you told me it was, it was bad. So I didn't even check it out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share one with you I watched recently, uh, a Netflix film I was really looking forward to. Uh, it's called Rebecca. Okay. Um, the reason is because it was directed by Ben Wheatley, who directed my favorite modern horror movie, Kill List. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. right. I've, been, I've been a fan of his since his first movie, Down Terrace. I've followed everything he's done. You know, he's kind of all over the place as a filmmaker. He's made some some films and some that I liked and some I didn't like. And this one seemed kind of intriguing. Uh, I was unaware that it was a remake. Um, that's how dumb I am. I guess it's a remake of a, of a Alfred Hitchcock film. And, you know, I, I was really looking forward to a uh, new Ben, ben Wheatley film on my TV, you know, and this just didn't work for me really? at all. Bummer. Same kind of thing. Like, I just couldn't really get into it. I'm checking my text messages. I'm thinking what I have to do later in the day. I'm thinking how it looks so much like a Netflix movie and not an actual film. Have you noticed that? Like, 
you watch a movie on a streaming platform, it just looks completely different than how shows and movies used to look. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, like, sometimes it's uh, a little, they put a little bit more, I think, resources into the production and it looks pretty awesome. But sometimes I think you're right, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm rewatching The Wire now, and for a show that was filmed in the early 2000s, it looks like a film still to me. Like, you could see that on the big screen. It looks like has like a cinematic quality to it that a lot of these streaming site movies don't seem to have anymore. I can see that. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing about the dark and the wicked. I, I just didn't, um, wasn't able to express myself clearly, but yeah, it has this mm. streaming like look to it. You know, I don't know. It's just very, um, mundane and kind of run of the mill. I just wasn't into it. Mm. All right. Well, I'm still going to watch it. <laughs> no, no, sure. I'll, I mean, I'll let you know what I by think. all means, you know, I went back yeah. in time though. After that too, I checked out uh Wolfen, which is a, uh, always a good movie to watch. Uh, I don't know if you ever seen that. It's like a, Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I have it on DVD somewhere. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. I, I also like closed out my Halloween with like, you know, classics, older movies like, uh, watch American werewolf in London. Uh, Black Death, uh, Swan's documentary. <laughs> That's oh, yeah, <laughs> not quite man. a horror movie, yeah. but uh, that might have been the best thing I watched all October. Now I really enjoyed that that documentary. On Friday the thirteenth, just to stay in the spirit of everything, I watched Friday the thirteenth, the first uh, movie, <laughs> and like the first one. Yeah, I, I gotta say, man, it doesn't really hold up for me. You know? Yeah, I mean, I've probably said it on this podcast a million times. I don't like those movies. I think they're all kind of garbage. I mean, I, I get it, the nostalgia factor. When I was a kid, I found Jason really scary and all that. But um, they, they, they don't hold up. I think they're like the Saw movies of the 80s. Sure. And they're just not that good. I kind of like the first but, Saw movie, though, honestly. The first one I thought was good. I think the first one is the only one that's actually like watchable, but uh, I, I I don't I don't remember liking it. I saw it in the theater. What was that? Two thousand four, I think three something. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I remember being really disappointed, like you know, thinking like this is going to be the next horror icon, which it was, but it just wasn't. This wasn't that good. It had like it was like you know it was like a new metal band it could be a movie. It'd be the Saw franchise. You know, it's funny. I saw it on like this bootleg. DVD-R that my roommate had. Oh, wow. And, um, you know, I, I checked it out, and I was like, it had this, like, really cool look to it. But it turned out that the thing that looked cool about it was the transfer onto the DVD-R, because when I actually saw the proper film, it looked completely different. Like, the actual look of it looked different. You know, That's funny you say. I, I think how you watch it, something, the context you watch something, it makes a big difference. I remember I had a friend in New York who watched the Grudge movie, um, American Remake, but it was uh, one of those bootleg copies people sell on the street. Yeah. And he was telling me, he's like, man, this movie was so spooky. There's all this like, whispering and talking going throughout the whole movie. <laughs> oh, man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I was like, dude, that's the people in the theater watching. Like, oh, my God, man. Oh. <laughs> those are the best. Do you remember, like, back, when Face Off came out, uh, when I lived on um, on Mission Hill, I, I, I want to say you, you, you came over 
to see this. You were, I feel like you were at the apartment when this, um, this, this, uh, we were viewing this. It might even have been a VHS tape. It was face off like a bootleg where like somebody, um, you know, literally was in the movie theater with like a, a video camera, like filming it in the theater. You know what I'm saying? Remember yeah. that, that was like a way that was like a, a thing. Like people did that. I don't know if they still do it these days, but like someone was like posted up in the theater filming it, and you can watch these bootleg films. And we were watching it at the at the house. We were all hanging out in the living room, and there was like everyone's faces was like distorted because it was like <laughs> the angle that the guy was sitting at in the theater. And then uh, yeah. there was a scene in Face Off where where he pulls back his coat and he's got the double fucking pearl handled like revolvers you know Every, yeah. everyone in the theater is like oh yeah man like it was fucking awesome <laughs> yeah dude that movie rules i fucking love 80s and 90s john woo films man just nothing there was nothing like him at the time yeah totally man you know completely bonkers like premise you know it's it's like one of the stupidest <laughs> like premises for a movie ever but it was such a great movie i loved it yeah, it makes no logical sense, but you're like, okay, whatever. I just want to see these two guys with a gun in each hand shooting a bunch of shit up and doves flying around. <laughs> yeah, I saw that movie on a date uh, that summer. I remember that distinctly. That's actually, that, was it a good date movie? Um, Yeah, sure. I, guess, I think so. I mean, we, we weren't together very long, so I don't know, maybe not. Yeah, that, 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 um, uh reminds me of a story from right around that same time when um it was uh uh that movie with mark Wal Wahlberg, uh boogie nights came out and um oh right yeah i went on a date to see that with uh with a with a young a young lady and um so i was early because I, I you you might know this about me i'm usually early everywhere i go so it's like i'm the same way yeah so i'm i'm early and i was supposed to meet her outside of the theater and uh, she wasn't there. Like I was, so I, like I was like, man, I don't, I don't want her to see me like waiting for her. So I, I walked across the street and I hid, I hid in this fucking alley, and <laughs> I waited five minutes for her to show up, and then I walked out. I was like, oh hey, how you doing, man? <laughs> Pretending like you're doing something. Oh my god, that's fucking. No, no, scary. I was, I, I wasn't. The alleyway wasn't in the sight line. I just like crept out and pretended like I had just showed up, you know, like, <laughs> like, oh yeah, man, you know, it was like traffic or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to see her waiting for me, like for her, to, I didn't want that to happen. So I like, I hid until she showed up and I, I came out. Oh man, I think I remember hearing that story about, <laughs> from you. Yeah, it's fucking, what a dumb motherfucker I was, man. <laughs> Yeah, hey, well, everyone's stupid till they turn 30, I think. <laughs> All right, man, so this episode, we're going to talk about the epic movie, Possessor, mm. by Brandon Cronenberg, who was uh, obviously, you know, for any of you guys out there, he's the son of the legendary David Cronenberg. Yeah, absolute legend, one of my favorite filmmakers. And uh, not to spoil this episode, but I'm going to say that I feel like Brandon is well on his way to becoming another legend in this type of film. Uh, absolutely agree. I think we're on the same page with this one today. Yeah. 
So it was an international co-production between Canada, the U.S., and the U.K. Um, it was written and directed by uh, Brandon Cronenberg. Cinematography by Kareem Hussein. And that's actually kind of significant, at least for me. Uh, Hussein. Oh. Yeah, Hussein. I remember seeing an extra. I think it was on the Dust Devil uh, DVD that I had back in the day. or you know, It was like a Richard Stanley um, DVD collection, maybe, of some of his films and earlier films packaged with Dust Devil. And there was um, like this kind of, you know, extra that was on there, like a little bit of a like kind of a documentary about these different filmmakers that were showing films at the Fantasia Festival. And it had Richard Stanley, Jim Van Beber, and Kareem Hussein. And um, he was showing yeah. his uh, movie Subconscious Cruelty. And wow. Yeah, and, and I remember being really, you know, like, wow, this guy's, like, really enthusiastic. He's got cool ideas. But I think that he was trying to write and direct. And I think that probably what ended up happening is his talent as a cinematographer actually started coming to the forefront. And he, uh, mm. he found more of a career just being a cinematographer. Well, he, I think it shows the right path. I, I hadn't seen anything he directed beforehand, but this movie looks phenomenal. Yeah, and, and Hussein worked on Antiviral, uh, Cronenberg, uh, Brandon Cronenberg's uh, film prior to this. And he also worked with Richard Stanley on, um, there was like a 2011 film anthology called The Theater of the Bazaar. And, um, oh, right, yeah. Yeah, he worked with uh, Stanley on uh, Mother of Toads, I believe. He didn't shoot his new movie, though, the one, uh, The Color Out of Space? I don't know. You know, you would think I would know something like that, but I, I'm not, I'm not 100% <laughs> certain if he shot that. Did he, do you know for a fact that he shot that? I don't know, actually, but I, I I'll, you know, uh, we talked about this. I didn't really love that movie, but I do think it looks good. Yeah, uh, it does. You know, um, let me look it up. Now, now I'm, like, kind of, like, bothered by that. <laughs> I just want to look at the credits real quick. But uh Yeah, he's he's Canadian. He's a Canadian um you know, another Canadian filmmaker type of guy. Let's see, written oh, cool. Richard Stanley, bit starring. Cinematographer nope, he did not. So uh hmm, okay. the cinematographer on that was uh Steve Annis. So he didn't work with Richard on that film. That's a fine looking movie though. You know, it's funny when I when I started doing the research for uh, Possessor, and I and I saw that Kareem Hussein. Actually, I, it wasn't at that point. I watched the extras, and Kareem Hussein popped up, and I was like, "Of course he did this because it looks so fucking right. good, man." Yeah. All right. So yeah, uh, a... yeah. Just gonna move down through the credits, and you know, sure. Editor was Matthew uh, Hannum. Score, which I thought the score was amazing. By Jim Williams. Agreed. Yeah. And uh, production companies that put this together, there's like a whole host of people that were involved in making this movie happen. And uh, it was uh, Thombus Media, Telefilm Canada, Ontario Creates, Rook Films, Ingenious Media, Crave, Wellgo USA, and Arclight Films. So all those companies were involved in making this happen. And the... Uh, Distribution was Elevation Films, Neon, which uh, you know that's that's uh, a you know we we know Neon, Parasite, 
Of course. You know, I, Tanya, which is an excellent movie. I don't know if you ever saw that. Oh, yeah, I love that movie. It's yeah. Really good. And uh, Signature Entertainment. The release dates, January 25th, 2020 at Sundance. October 2nd, 2020, U.S. and Canada, and November 27th. It's uh, coming out this month in the U.K. Runtime, 104 minutes. Went by like a flash, though, honestly. It did. It's paced really well. Yeah. Uh, just, I'm going to run through the main characters. Uh, everyone did an amazing acting job on this film. So we have uh, Andrea Risenborough as... Tasia Voss, and you guys might know her from uh, Mandy. She plays Mandy. Oh, God, Chris- that, I was wondering the whole time what I knew her from. Oh, you didn't? Oh, really? You didn't? You didn't pick up on that? Yeah. Oh, wow. No, oh, I, I, I'm an idiot. <clears throat> that's all right, man. You know, <laughs> she is such a unique-looking woman too, and that's why, like, like she's just un- unforgettable-looking, really, in some ways. Yeah. Well, I agree, but apparently I forgot who she was. So. Yeah. Christopher Abbott, uh, he plays uh, Colin Tate. Rasif Sutherland as Michael Voss. Tuppence Middleton as Ava Parse. Sean Bean, a.k.a. Boromir from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> or, or Robert Snow or whatever the hell his name is. Robert from uh, uh, Game of Thrones. Robert Stark. Yeah. Rob Stark. Um, as John Parse, and uh, the always amazing Jennifer Jason Lee as Gerder. So uh, I mean, that's yeah. that's the main players in this uh, this little drama here. Yeah, and like you said, everyone brings it. There's not a weak performance in this movie. I would say. So, what, I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you going to say? I've been talking. No, no, a lot. You, you, you. No, that's fine. You're the host. You go ahead. But we're co-hosts, so I, 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 um, I, I insist that you go ahead. Well, I mean, I guess you got to start off by talking about the elephant in the room. Yes, he is David Cronenberg's son, and it it is obvious that he is David Cronenberg's son, and that he is heavily influenced by his father. Um, going back to Antiviral, did you see Antiviral? Yes. What did you think of that? Um, I didn't love it, and I felt like that movie was way more in within the uh, the legacy of David Cronenberg. You know what I mean? Absolutely, uh, I completely agree. To me, it felt like he was going back to his dad's like really early experimental stuff, like Stereo and Crimes of the Future, and and uh, you know, the, the Brood and those kind of films. And I think he wore the name Cronenberg more in his sleeve than that movie. Uh, I, I agree. It was, it was okay. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It was, it was interesting. I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested to see where he goes next. This is such a monumentally huge leap forward for him, I think, as, as a filmmaker and really um, getting his own voice out there and getting out from under his father's shadow. Although thematically, I think it, it is very much a Cronenberg-esque I could dig that. I, I um I feel like uh the the story is way more in the uh the Philip K. Dick sort of realm. You know, like it's um, mm. well first of all, this movie is it's like a science fiction slash horror 
slash satire. I feel like there's like some satirical elements in this film that talk about modern society and, and just uh, one, one I, I watched this twice and the second time around, uh, one of the takeaways I got was just on a personal level, like how people in general, like there's, they, they write like a narrative. I think you and I, before we started this episode, we were talking about people creating a narrative for themselves and, and sticking within this world that they world view that they see. And I think that this kind of takes that idea literally. And uh, we'll get into some of the plot points that support that, you know, and, and I, I was, it's a, it's definitely a movie that um, sparked a lot of thought about, you know, society and like, you know, personal stuff and consumerism, oh, and, yeah. you know, things like that. You know, it was pretty, pretty fucking cool and profound, I think, in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think a major theme running throughout this movie is vulnerability. How vulnerable we are to you know, data mining, advertising, illusions of con- control, invasions of privacy. There's a lot going on in this movie. Yeah. A lot of vaping, too. I don't know if you noticed. You picked up on it, how everyone was, <laughs> was vaping, vaping throughout this movie. <laughs> I, I did notice that, and I started to wonder. I was like, when does this take place? It seems like it takes place now, but in some sort of alternate reality where, like, you know, you don't see a lot of cell phones or iPads, and the tech looks really dated. Actually, I have an answer for that. In, in one oh, of the, interesting. In one of the extras, Cronenberg uh, talks about that, how this is – a 2008 alternate reality. So it's an alternate ah. past. It's, a, it's like a, a multiverse past. So this was supposed to take place back in 2008, but in a completely different dimension. That's how, that's how he described it. Interesting. Is there a reason why, or is it just like, eh, 2008? Well, I think that one, one of the things he talked about was how in order to have this type of technology... Well, before I say before we say that, one one of the key elements in this film is that there's a, a transfer of consciousness from one body to another, and then that consciousness takes over a host, and that person it's like a a company of assassins that are doing these high high level uh, assassinations. So, you know, Voss uh, is one of the key members of this group, and through some technological uh, process, she gets her uh, consciousness transported into a different host, and then they do this crime, and then she comes back. So in order to have that type of technology, it would have to be so far in the future that it would have to be set in a world that was completely different than what we would, we would experiencing right now. So for that reason, so that it can be grounded in some kind of relatable reality, Cronenberg decided to set it in an alternate past. So, you know, we're looking at the, the phones, like they have these flip phones. Uh, you know, some of the cars, I guess, are like these like old, sky, old style cars. But there's this incredibly advanced technology which is being um, executed by outdated looking hardware, you know. So... It just, right. Yeah, it creates this very, very uh, off kilter kind of world, and I, I really I appreciated that immersion into yeah, this different I, different reality. You know. Yeah, totally. Like instead of like people like pressing but, uh, iPads, it's all knobs and buttons, and 
and levers, very kind of like 70s aesthetic to this movie. Yeah. It's like a 70s idea of what the future would be like. Yeah, totally. That's that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. So so you realize right away that you're it's different. Like you're not in you're not in the present, you're not in a past that we've lived through. And you're probably not in a future just because of how like kind of like you know, like run down, I guess everything looks. And uh so yeah, you feel like this difference of reality that you're you're living in. So yeah, I mean it's like a and the other thing, man, is is uh I watched the extras, obviously. That's where I found out about some of this stuff. Like, oh. so apparently, all of the, there's a lot of use of color, and um, you know the camera work and all this other stuff. So, there they didn't do any kind of uh, you know filtering. Everything was done in camera with all the color. So if if you see a red oh, a red room like this, everything looks red or green or whatever or blue. The, the set was lit that way, so when it's photographed, it's blue or red or you know yellow or whatever color they use. And I thought that was like fucking awesome. Yeah, I did too. I wrote down red, yellow, blue as like like the main colors uh, in this movie. There's not a lot of like greenery or any. It really creates a sort of cold, dreary world. Yeah. You know, so yeah, just on a technical level, this this movie is like just so interesting to look at. You know. Yeah, it's very cinematic. I really kind of wish I saw it on on the big screen. Like these images are huge. The camera moves a lot. There's a lot going on in the frame to look at. It would have been great to see on the big screen. So the movie opens up. You're not exactly sure what's going on. There's this black lady. Uh, she's going through, she's shoving some sort of pin into her skull and going through this knob and, you know. And then she stabs some dude up in the neck. And um, and then we see Voss laying down in this like weird plastic formed couch with all this like hardware on her head, and we see Jennifer Jason Lee, who's uh, her boss. And that's when we learn about what the the whole concept of the film possessor is that she's a virtual assassin, I guess, in some ways. You know, she's someone who her consciousness gets beamed across into this other person and then that person does their crimes and this country is paid handsomely, this, this uh, company is paid handsomely to knock off these like high-level people. You know, that's kind of like the, the setting of the film. Right, yeah, and it's, it's such a nefarious group. Like it kind of a little bit, I got a little bit of like an inception feel from that, like really, when if you've seen Inception, I, I assume. Yeah, yeah, a couple times, yeah. You're basically rooting for these guys to win, but they're bad guys. <laughs> like, they're getting into people's brains and stealing shit. This is like even more nefarious than that. Yeah, because people are getting murdered, and they're they're just like removing people from, like just killing them. And I gotta say, the violence in this film is pretty extreme. Yeah, that, that first assassination with a, a knife to the neck. And, and and by the way, not only are they killing people, they're ruining, and uh, well, I guess they're not ruining the lives, the, the, the bodies they have, they're ending the lives of these innocent people. Yeah, actually, the host gets killed. And that's how they, you know, which is like, you're killing, not only are you killing, like, you're some target, 
but like you said, like an innocent person is a victim as well. So it's like double, you know, darkness, you know. Right. And right away in that opening scene, the movie opens up with that, that, that girl's name is Holly. And it's a small part, but the actress does really good. Um, you see like a conflict happening while she's calibrating. She starts off, she, as soon as she sticks that auxiliary looking thing into her head, she seems uh, almost euphoric. And then it transfers to like this, she's like, like she's going to cry. So I'm wondering what's going on. Is it like the actual person there knowing what's happening? I picked it up as like a, a calibration sort of, you know what I mean? Mm. Like, like they're calibrating like their consciousness or that, that, that's how I read that. But, uh, mm. but there is definitely a conflict because I guess this is an illustration, which actually comes back later in the film. The, uh, the sort of procedure is after they do the murder, the, uh, the, you know, she's supposed to shoot herself in the head and then they pull her out. But, Number one, she decided to stab her target instead of shoot him. And they comment on that, how you were provided a gun, but you chose to stab this guy with a knife, you know. And then she hesitated to shoot herself in the head and then instead opened fire on this police, and the police actually killed her. And that's how she right. ended up being transported back into her body. So there's like, you can see that things, you know, maybe there's some fatigue you know, there's something, maybe she's done this too many times. Maybe there's like some uh, personality, uh, you know, emotional shit going on. So you're starting to get the feeling that, that Voss needs uh, some time off, basically, or to, or to, to disconnect for a while and, and reset. You know, that, that's kind of the feeling I got, at least. Yeah, I mean, when we meet Voss, she's kind of a, feels like she's, she's dead inside. I mean, when she has to like, acclimate to her body again they show her a series of things that may or may not belong to her and she looks at the uh the butterfly and she expresses remorse for having you know killed and, and pinned this butterfly which is interesting because she she has remorse for this this insect that she killed many many years ago but like she's gone on to kill how, however many people you get the sense that she's probably killed quite a bit but you know but what this, this butterfly bothers her and this comes back later on in the film towards the end. And like what I, what I believe, you know, and, and, um, all right, well, first let, let's, let's move on a little bit first because what happens is okay. we, we also discover that she's separated from her husband and, uh, you know, Michael and, uh, they have a kid and, um, the kid's name is Ira and, uh, she hasn't been living with the family. Um, so there's, there's like some disharmony at home. Right. So, so at one point, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead, man. Go. So we, no, no, you go ahead. I was going to say that I think that what I read into this was that at one point they did have a, a, a good relationship and that, you know, they were like this kind of like happy family. Obviously they were involved enough to like have a child and, and the husband still wants to stick around, even though they're, you know, she's like, oh, I want you to, he's, he said he wanted her to move back home again. So after, right. you know, my, my feeling is that, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee, who's the, uh, the head of this company, what they're doing is slowly methodically erasing her, her, her actual personality. And that these, 
Because I found it odd that she felt like, like similar to what you said, I found it odd that, that she had remorse about killing the butterfly. Meanwhile, she's like viciously killing people with knives. And, and the right, you know, and the brutality gets stepped up as the movie goes on. And yeah, and yeah, totally. Yeah. So I'm thinking that, and this, this actually comes full circle towards the end of the film, too, where, where like I feel like the, the, the objective of Jennifer Jason Lee's character is to create these completely impressionable personalities that they can just project whatever narrative they want and make them do whatever they want. And I think that this whole process of being transported and coming back, and they always show her these same items, and these items don't even really have any meaning. And the meaning that those items have might have been implanted in, in their consciousness. It's like, okay, well, this... You know, this is this butterfly is supposed to make me feel this way. This is this other item. And it's a way of kind of like recalibrating them and bringing them into whatever va, quote unquote Voss, you know, and that version of her is slowly being manipulated and, you know, changed into what the company wants Voss to be. That's like, I know that's like a pretty deep, like, you know, sort of uh, assumption, but that's kind of how I felt about the whole thing. No, I 100% agree. I wrote down that she's being manipulated by Jennifer Jason Lee's character because she mentions about going to see her son and her husband and Jennifer Jason Lee says, oh, you're still trying to make that work? You know, kind of like subtly guiding her where she should, what she should be thinking to the point where she doesn't even know how to interact with her son and her husband anymore. If you see her, uh, you know, standing outside the door rehearsing basically what she's going to say to them and how to act like a normal human being. Yeah. So you, I got the sense, the same thing. She's been broken down like over the years. And also, the, and now she has this like disdain for her family almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Jennifer Jason Lee, I think also uh, hints that she felt that she was actually dangerous to be around her family. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, she she put that idea in her head, I think. Yeah. So and Jennifer Jason Lee isn't in the movie a lot, but the few scenes she's in, she's great in. Oh, yeah, and she I plays agree. this like like evil person so like calmly and quietly. It's a, it's really a great performance. Yeah, she's a real reptile in this movie. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like their plan that sets up the main plot is. Um, they want this guy's business, who you don't see in the movie. This, this stepson of Sean Bean wants uh, his, his, his stepfather and his daughter out of the picture so he can inherit the business. But then Jennifer Jason Lee's company is going to use that to blackmail him, and then for they get the company. Yeah. <laughs> it's a pretty complicated plot. Yeah, definitely. But it's like, it's like some... You know, espionage, like uh, big business, you know, kind of kind of shenanigans, you know what I mean? And it's it's pretty interesting, man, like how fucking Darth Vader-esque like this company really is, man, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it really it, it really is. Um, so, yeah, um, that's when we get introduced to Christopher Abbott's uh, character. Colin, and uh, Colin he's Tate. another Colin Tate, great made-up name, man. Yeah, um, I like this actor a lot, man. Sidebar here, I, I like him. Uh, I, I remember the first thing I saw him in was that HBO show Girls, and 
you know, didn't think too much about show. It was fine, but he just started popping up in, in everything. And, uh, he was great in it comes at night. Yep. And, uh, He's great in this movie, James White. I don't think the movie made a lot of noise, but he plays this real fucking asshole. <laughs> and you just got to stick with him for the full movie. Uh, and he's, uh, again, he's great in this too. I, I, I'm a big fan of his too, actually. I think that uh, he's got like an incredible presence on screen too. And uh, he was in this movie called Sweet Virginia. Um, that oh, I saw. I saw that. Yeah, it was good, right? He. Yeah, the Punisher guy's in that, right? Yes, the guy that you, you yeah. uh, you've seen him around L.A. a few times, I, I think you said. Yeah, with like a Von Dutch hat, like <laughs> all crooked and shit. You know, like it's like, like it's 2008. <laughs> 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 so maybe, maybe he is living in an alternate reality. <laughs> <laughs> what, yeah. what I like about Christopher Abbott, too, is like similar to um, Christopher Walken. He has like a very distinct way of speaking. I find that he, he carries throughout his different roles. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, he's got this kind of weird inflection that he always uses. Like, even, like, in It Comes at Night, you know, it's like, he always seems, like, a little nervous or something. I don't know. There's, like, this weird quality that he brings to his roles. Yeah, and, and he, uh, and It Comes at Night, he, like, he gives such a good performance that like you never really fully trust him. Exactly. And he's so good at doing that, like, little subtle things. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, we meet his character, and he's he's basically dating Sean Bean's uh, daughter, Ava, and he kind of seems like he's like a low level dude. Yeah. Well, they, he's he's a drug dealer. He was a drug. He was like her drug dealer, and because uh, as we see, you know, she likes to party. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, Chris Abbott was like a, a, her her uh, coke dealer. And they started having a thing. And then next thing you know, he's like shacked up with her. Uh, a woman who is like way beyond any. He was definitely punching up in this relationship. You know, like definitely this guy is kind yeah. of like, you know, like he said, a low level dude, drug dealer. You know, she's like the daughter of like some bazillionaire master of industry, you know. Right. And like he. She basically got her, her dad to give him this this job at his company, and he she, he wears this kind of like Best Buy looking uniform to work, and he, he essentially spies on people for a living in this sort of like low rent way, like looking at them through their webcams that they've left on, yeah, or they don't know her on. And uh, that that was interesting to me. Like he, he, he's watching people have sex, but he has to pay attention to what kind of curtains they have hung up. <laughs> it is so creepy, man. Like, and and it's it's like that's what AIs are doing, though. Really, you know what I mean? It's like that that work, yeah. that work that he's doing. And this is this is interesting because it's like yeah, back in this alternate two thousand eight, uh, they actually have people doing a work that right now like our artificial intelligence is doing, you know, straight up. I mean, we all know that, you know? Oh, yeah. So it's just funny to see a human actually doing it where it's like, okay, well, some guy's like having sex. Yeah, I mean, you see like this chick's got her fucking, you know, hairy fucking snatch out there. And it's like, oh, yeah, but check out those curtains in the back. You know, that's what, that's what like we're looking at. You know what I mean? <laughs> 
Yeah, and he's so desensitized to it, though. Yeah. Like, he's not even thinking about the people having sex. It was just probably day one at that job. That's probably all he was looking at. And you get a sense that everyone in this alternate reality is like that. Because um, he comes home from work, he's hanging out with Ava and her friends, and they're all just sort of discussing how this is just normal. Well, like, um, before that, though, what happens, though, is he gets snatched by, uh, by the company. Oh, that's right. You yeah, know yeah. what's great? You don't even see it happen. Yeah. Some Suddenly, he's, just, he's, just, he's like in the back of a van, like unconscious. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> and there's like some chick who's like chewing gum, like playing with some other, you know, he's doing a crossword puzzle or something like that. And that's, so they, they snatch him and then they put him back and then he shows up and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I don't know what happened. My, my flight was late or something and, you know. I just thought that was funny. Yeah. Yeah, and it just kind of seems like a bullshit excuse, but they're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, and that scene, too, like that, that, that binding scene was really interesting, too. I love all the practical effects in this movie. Well, that, that's, that's actually what, what really made me excited, too, was how everything's done pretty much in camera. I mean, you know, there's like little, little CGI things here and there, but not, not the actual special effects. You know, like I saw, I saw this in the uh, the extras, like some of the projections mm-hmm. on the screens, like they'll show like when he's when he's at work walking down the hallway. There's like these these panels that have some kind of projection on it. That that was CGI. Oh. That was that was CGI. But everything is real. Yeah, Every, yeah. Everything's really happening, like in the camera. There's no green screens. Yeah, and it's great. And some of these sequences almost kind of remind me of like psychedelic rock videos or experimental films. Yeah, definitely. You know, um, so Voss gets projected into uh, into Tate or what? Whatever, Colin, Colin Tate. Colin Tate. That's a, I, that's a name I'm going to use, man. Like if I'm trying to like yeah to keep my like you know i meet some some like person in some other place i don't want them to know who i am i'm gonna say my name's colin tate yeah you're at the border in canada you don't have an id like yeah colin tate (laughs) (laughs) colin tate look me up yeah um Um, did you get the sense that this might be the first time voss was in a man's body yeah that's actually a really good point because when she takes over his body, she's like looking at herself, himself, or whatever, in the mirror, and like checking out his cock and like all this stuff. You know what I mean? So it's probably the first time she's been in a man's body. Yeah, and she, uh, she as as Tate has sex with Ava, so like there's like this personal connection now to this person that she knows she has to kill. Yeah, definitely. Not only does uh, she also gets like a, a viewport into his uh, his life too. Like when Tate comes back and Ava's like hanging out with her her girlfriends and they're all doing coke and vaping together. All these uh, white ladies are hanging out, be, be, being being white. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah. Dude, tell me the truth, man. That was like some of the whitest like shit you've seen. Those these chicks hanging out, right? Absolutely, doing coke, and one girl's talking about the, how she jerks off explicitly in front of the camera, so she knows which dildo they advertise to her. Or like, yeah, it was a. Yeah. But that character, like they see, he she has a history with Tate. Exactly right. Yeah. So they used and, to, they used to bang or something like that, and you know. 
Yeah, it's probably a similar thing he had with Ava, but like maybe he saw more of an opportunity with Ava than this other girl. And this you know? is why Christopher Abbott playing this role is so perfect. You know, you know he's yeah. got he's got these like black fucking snake eyes. You know, and like he just looks so fucking sketchy like all the time, man. In this movie. Yeah, and he plays it well. He's like a low life, but he's not like a, a character, a caricature of a low life. Yeah, you know, you just kind of think this guy's probably like some sleazy opportunist. But now he also has to play him as a woman who's possessing his body. Yeah. And now, did you catch the sense it was a perfect melding of brains? Because she seems to to know everything in Tate's life, like how to do his job, who his friends are, their names. Like, that wasn't just done with, like, research. It seems like they're sharing a brain. Yeah, and that's, like, kind of the mo- one of the more intriguing aspects of this, t- this technology that they're using, where it's, like, it's, like, um, I-, I, like, po- I, like, kind of meditated on that after the movie. Like, well, what the fuck is actually going on, man? Are they, like, she understands, like, all the shit that's going on in this life. However, I don't think she really knew that this other lady, um, Rita, her name was had a had a history with with colin you know what i mean that seemed to be like a little bit of a surprise to her when she said that hmm yeah i didn't pick up on that but that's 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 interesting um to me i yeah i kind of thought about it a lot too like why did this uh melding or combining go so wrong i think you know like i said um at first she seems to be interested in being in a man's body and you know now she's sleeping with uh, her target it doesn't feel like Voss ever fully took over or was really conflicted about what she had to do well I think that uh, a couple things I think like I said earlier there was obviously she was slipping you know a little bit like she seemed fatigued like even in the first um, assassination she did you know, like, mm-hmm. like she had the gun, but she stabbed him. Like she couldn't pull the trigger. You know what I mean? And when she came back, right. even even Gerder was like, yeah, do you uh, you need some time off or whatever. Or she said she wanted time off. But then when she got to her that, to be with her family, she actually called Gerder back. And she's like, look, I, I need to get the fuck out of here. Give me a, give me a job. So right. it feels like she's just like shopworn from doing all this stuff. And then... She she's in this situation, which is probably uh, something that she hasn't doesn't like. We said first time she's been in a man's body, and I just think she's like slipping a little bit. And this whole thing is is um, the fatigue, you know, like the dissolution of her own personality, which we were talking about earlier about how that might be the end game for Gerder is to have this total clean slate that they can manipulate into whatever. And just like the last vestiges of her own personality hanging on to hanging on created like a, like a conflict, you know, because like this doesn't go this whole this whole program doesn't go as planned as we see, you know. Right, right. Um, yeah, we get another scene again of her needing to recalibrate. And again, you see like the range of emotion yeah. this time on Christopher Abbott's face of like. Like he looks euphoric and then he just looks destroyed. You know, it looks like he's uh, about to cry. Yeah. And uh, that brings us to the dinner 
party scene. Uh, it's the best. <laughs> is, this, is my, this is like kind of like a, a one of the climaxes of the movie in some ways. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, this is where everything kind of like <laughs> you know go goes goes wrong in the assassination <laughs> attempt. Like we finally meet uh, Ava's father, played by the great Sean Bean. Uh, who I know is that guy who dies in everything I see in there. <laughs> yeah, totally, man. <laughs> yeah, he dies in everything. Um, he is a total prick. You get that right away. He is, he does not like, uh, he does not like Tate at all. Well, I mean, the reality too is like any any father would wouldn't like Tate, regardless of who he is. You know what I mean? Because he's kind, of a, scum, kind yeah. of a scumbag. You know, definitely, like, this dude probably imagined his daughter would be, uh, you know, hanging out with some other high-level guy, like some other business type of dude, not like a drug dealer that he had to find a job, like some entry-level position at his company, you know what I mean? <laughs> and uh, a guy who's yeah. obviously being taken care of by him and his daughter. Oh, yeah. And he has nothing but disdain for him. Yeah. And, and it's obvious. And he uses that as his treatment. And as, okay, now this would, you know, honestly, all this shit, the hardest thing for me, if I had to be one of these possessors, would be to cause a scene like that and embarrass myself. Oh, yeah, man. Big time. Yeah. Because like, it, it is pretty I, embarrassing. Oh, it's totally embarrassing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been wasted at a party and caused a scene. No. I, I'm, I'm pretty I, sure I have. I haven't really done that kind of thing, really. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm, you've known me for a long time. Man. I'm I'm pretty measured. You know what I mean? No, you are. I'm just kidding. I really have never like, you know, been like drunk and they're outside, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I've never been that guy. <laughs> I've been close to that guy. Um, so yeah, he gets. Does he get drunk? Is he? He is playing drunk. I think. Well, the direction. This is kind of the setup. So the direction is they want they want to set up um, like a, a conflict between uh, Colin and the father, because you know Colin has to fucking murder the father and the daughter. So they told him to make a very public, to start basically start a fight with uh, to come off as being drunk, to start a fight with the with the with the uh, father with um, whatever the fuck guy uh, whatever the guy's name is the fucking Sean Bean character. And I'm so, so bad at remembering names. Yeah, so so he, yeah, you know, like he comes over. The guy tells him to fuck off, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, like like the men, the real men are talking here. So why don't you go fuck off? Basically, is what he ta- tells him. Right. And and what I loved about that scene is is Sean Bean's smile. You know what I mean? Like his whole <laughs> face, like his face, like everything about him. He just looks like he's loving a, it. Like such a fucking prick. You know what I mean? And like his teeth are like super white and everything, you know, it's like so fucking awesome, man. Yeah. And he's screaming, Tate's screaming, I'm a giant. You don't step on me. And his girlfriend (laughs) tries to intervene. He's like, fuck you, bitch. 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 And Sean Bean is just loving it. He's getting exactly what he wanted. Like, see what an asshole this guy is. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, and yeah, (laughs) yeah. I love it. That was a great scene, man. It's so uncomfortable. It really was. Oh, totally, man. Anytime someone makes a jackass out of themselves, it's really hard for me to watch. (laughs) 
So the party's over, Man. and uh, yeah, Sean, you know, like uh, Sean Bean and and uh, Ava are sitting at this table at the house, and the house is like pretty fucking stellar man you know what i mean it's got like this vaulted ceiling it looks like a museum you know what i mean it's like a pretty crazy place yeah. to live you know absolutely and uh you know she's like you also get the sense that uh sean bean's character is so much of a prick that him and his daughter are pretty much alienated from each other too you know she, right yeah she calls him a creature which i thought was funny you're such a creature. Yeah. That is, yeah. Like, and then Tate comes back, again, this is interesting, pulls out a gun, and Sean Bean is completely unfazed by it. Yeah. Or he pretends to be. So he has the opportunity, or Voss has the opportunity to hit one of her targets. No, no problem. But instead, gives him an opportunity to stand up and fight. And that's when he, or Voss, beats him. You think to death with a with a poker. Yeah. Fucking and it brutal, is man. Brutal. And again, like you could have used a gun, but you made it more personal. And like it wasn't just a one hit across the face. She beats the shit out of him with this thing and then jams it down his throat and twists it. Dude, she pops one of his eyes out, like fucks up his teeth, you know, like I don't know how that motherfucker made it live through that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I don't either. That was uh, yeah. shocking. And again, like she, so she doesn't really complete her mission. And when Ava comes in and sees what's happening, like there's this look of horror and this like brief moment of like disbelief and denial before she runs out the room and Voss uh, slash Tate callously just shoots her in the back like nothing. Yeah, definitely. So yeah. someone he had like a personal interaction with, he's... You know, they have sex, but she, she kills uh, her in this impersonal way and yet takes out all this rage on on uh, Sean Bean's character. It's really, it was really interesting to me. I couldn't really uh, make that connection why. The thing is, it's, it's uh, the brutality that, that, like, all right, when she comes in, she pulls the gun. Uh, he pulls the gun out. He's like, puts down the table. He's like, check this out. I got this gun. Yeah. And uh, he just is like, thinks he's such too much of just like a fucking half man that he doesn't even feel threatened by a guy pulling a gun on him, which is pretty crazy to think about. You know? Right. He's like, I'm, I'm going to bed. Go get the fuck out of here. But she could have accomplished her mission right there by shooting him in the head in probably a way more humane way than if she had been successful to killing him, but to beating this guy and torturing him like that, you know? And I think that that and the fact that she killed um, Ava so callously is really showing like a psychosis developing with, inside of Voss's mind, you know what I mean? And that I think, you know, right. like later on in the film, we see even more of this like psychotic shit, you know? Yeah, definitely. And like, yeah, she's, she, he goes... Boss goes over and stands over Ava as she's like struggling to get away and just callously just puts one in her head like it's nothing, just like seal the deal. And then, interestingly, you know, she's supposed to turn the gun on on himself, but again, she can't seem to do it. Yeah. So this the completion of her mission is, is a problem for her. It's like she can take all this abuse in these other bodies, 
but she can't seem to bring herself to kill herself. Yeah, and I, and I wonder if some of that has to do with like how the misery of her own personal life too. You know, like part right. of her, part of yeah. her, I think, wants to stay in the in her host body. Right, that could be it. Yeah, I think this weakness gives. Uh, you, this is when is this when you start to see like like Tate kind of taking yeah. control of his body in this moment. Yeah, because afterwards he he leaves and you see him like on the street. It's like the next day. He's got like blood all over his fucking clothes and everything, and and he's in the bathroom. And you know, then there's like that one scene where you see her. Ref- they're both of their reflections. You know, right? Yeah, we're wearing the same clothes. So he goes to like hide out at that that girl's uh, apartment, uh, Renee. And this is one scene I really. He, he kind of confesses to her what he did. Like, I wonder who Renee's talking to at this point. Is it Voss or is it Tate? It's hard to say. Yeah, I, he seems confused. I think it's, it, it, I love how sketchy he is too in this scene. He's like, I, I did it. I did it. I wanted, I did it so we could be together. You know, like he's like, yeah. He's like, <laughs> yeah, like what was that about? I, I, they, they came at me. I was defending myself. He's like, he said that he gave like three or four different reasons. And she's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Because she has no idea that anything even happened. He just shows up. She's like, oh, you're bleeding. And he's like, I did it for you. I was so we could be together. <laughs> you know, like, it's like, yeah. he's like, then I defended my, then he's like, nothing happened. I fell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's right. Yeah. He's like, I, I fell. You know, like, fuck, uh, I fell. It's fucking classic. Anytime someone tells you they fell, they're fucking lying. <laughs> yeah, definitely, man. <laughs> and. But but this you learn like she gets in the shower, okay, and then Tate slash Voss points a gun at her, and we later learn shot her. Yeah. Why? I didn't I didn't get that. I don't. You know that's a really good point. I don't know why he killed her either. Maybe he just didn't like, fucking like her talking shit so much. I don't know. Yeah, it, that that to me that's the one thing in the movie that I couldn't really wrap my brain around. Because one of his co-workers comes over, this guy, Eddie. Eddie, fast Eddie, yeah. Eddie, yeah. And you learn Eddie is uh, another possessor. He's another, he works for the company. Yeah, he's, he's, or no, he's not he's, a possessor. Uh, he can't kill. Yeah, he's he the plant. He's a Christian. I can't kill anyone. That was yeah. a really funny twist, man. Oh, no, I, I'm a Christian. I can't kill you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so he's going to help get Voss out of that body. And then we have sort of, what I guess would call the unbinding scene and another great use of practical effects. Yes. It's and like that whole it doesn't work. Wax, like the melting wax, like gag that they do. Yeah. Again, the, the psychedelic sort of experimental films of, uh, from long ago kind of influenced there. But the, I guess, I guess the unbinding, it didn't work because Tate wakes up and Eddie is dead. Yeah. And now at this point, he's taken over his body and taken over her consciousness. And they use this uh, metaphor of him taking her face off and putting it on. And now he knows all of her memories. Yep. That's right. Great scene, by the way. It's like this very weird, like cool symbolic like thing that goes on very impressionistic i thought that was like such an interesting scene man it was great 
Yeah, I agree. And that just the distorted face, it's an image that you won't get out of your head anytime soon. So his plan now is to go, what is he? He seems to be out for revenge or I think that I'm not sure what his idea was. I think he just wants to fucking end, end everything. You know what I mean? Like he's, um, he, he shows up at, at, uh, the house like that. Um, Voss formerly lived out with her husband, Michael and their son, Ira. And he's like, I think his ploy was to threaten and be like, look, I'll fucking kill these motherfuckers unless you get me, this thing stops, you know, cause that's kind of what he says really. You know, yeah. I'll fucking kill him, you know? And that's when shit goes even worse for him because, uh, right. And there's like some more intense violence and, you know, and shit like that, you know? But this is interesting again. Like, she basically says, go ahead. Yeah. Kill him. Right. Exactly. And this is a really shocking, disturbing, upsetting <laughs> scene. Um, again, uh, he uses a, a butcher knife this time on, on Voss's husband. She's essentially killing her own husband. Yeah. And in a very brutal way, she chops a couple of his fingers off. And then just starts hacking him up, and it's 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 really unsettling. I mean, she stabs him like it's the fucking Tate LaBianca murders, man. Like you see the knife going in and in and out and in and out, and just like fucking stabs this guy up, man. Yeah, and brutal. And again, you're not quite sure who's doing it. It's a little bit of both of them. Is it all Voss? And then the big twist, a knife comes from off screen, stabs her, Kate in the throat, and it's Ira, her son. Uh, she essentially kills her kid by blowing his fucking head off. Yeah, dude, definitely. I mean, he blows, like, shoots him in the, in, in the, in the chest and then like, blows the back of his head out. And we learn that he was being possessed by Jennifer Jason Lee's character. So it makes me wonder: Was this the end game too? Was this supposed to happen? Well, like they want total control of her. They got it now. Yep, totally, man. I like how quick and sketchy that knife comes out. It's like this little fucking paring knife. He just like yeah, gets her and gets him in the (laughs) neck. You know? Yeah, and it's like look of total surprise. I mean, I was totally surprised. He comes from like out of nowhere. It's shocking. Yeah. So then, um. Voss wakes up, Jennifer Jason Lee's character wakes up, no emotion, nothing. She's just killed her family, and she doesn't seem to care. And then we see her trying to acclimate again. She sees the butterfly. She doesn't feel any remorse anymore. Right, exactly. And, I mean, this is what they do, man. They kill. That's like, and that's why, like, for to do all all this death is like just a day at the office for Jennifer Jason Lee's character Gerder. You know, it's like they they kill and they take over companies and make mad cash. That's like what their their game is. And um, so yeah, just going quite a movie, man. A bunch of stuff, bunch oh, of yeah. fucking feelings and thoughts and all this stuff about this movie, man. You know, really, really deep film. I thought. Oh, I, I agree. And like this, I mean, like I said, he's really 
movie number two, I think he's really moved out of his father's shadow and has his own voice as a filmmaker. I mean, again, there are themes that you would find in a Cronenberg movie about, about death, suicide, uh, you know, in, invasions of, of the body. But it's done in a way that David Cronenberg hasn't really done yet. I don't think he's ever taken this kind of angle. I mean, there's similarities. Like uh, some of it reminded me a bit of existence with like the weird tech and stuff like that. Right. And the presence of Jennifer Jason Lee, of course, yes. but I think he's really going in his own direction and is going to make some really, really interesting stuff yeah. in the future. I mean, I definitely acknowledge the sim- like some of the nods to, to cr- early David Cronenberg, but I actually, like I said, I feel like this is almost more like, um, if anyone out there is familiar with Philip K. Dick's work, uh, mm. it has more of that, like the scripting reminds me of a, of a story that Philip K. Dick might have written. You know what I mean? Right, and this very dour, depressing sort of vibe that goes throughout the whole yeah. film, and especially in the end. It's a very chilling ending, I thought. Like, they get what they want. They get this blank slate, total fucking dedicated assassin yeah and i guess that's like kind of the um the trajectory of the character from the beginning to the end is like the slow dissolving of their personality and any kind of connection to you know any 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 of their former life that has to go it all has to go and i think the, the slow manipulation of voss just to become this like blank slate you know it's like a, a very tragic you know ending for her it is it really is um, yeah, I've seen this twice already. I can't wait to see it again. Yeah, I, I actually um, bought a, bought the uh, digital version that's got all the extras and stuff on it. Yeah, I got to check that stuff out. That sounds like it's a, a worthy purchase. Definitely. But um, my final, honestly, I think this is up there with some of David Cronenberg's best stuff. Like, I, I, I can't find a flaw with this movie and I think it's going to be a movie that just the more you see it the more unravels to you and it's also just really good to look at too like visually it's just like such such a satisfying visual film yeah I hope he gets his team back or whatever he does next uh, for sure Uh, have you heard about him working on anything or Um, I mean well this just came out so I haven't heard of anything really about about what yeah. he's doing in the future, and also I imagine just like with the, you know, the pandemic, it's hard to plan things. Right. I I see big things for him in the future. I think people are going to get a look at this and probably try to get him to direct a fucking Marvel movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think um, he would do that. I think he would just kind of just do his thing, man. I hope that's what he does. You know, I mean, you know, it's the second yeah. movie he did with uh, Kareem Hussein. And um, I think that team is, is fucking, they, they got to continue making films together, in my opinion. I'm with you there. So if you had to give it a final grade, what, 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 what are you thinking? I gave it a f- fucking five, dude. That, I like, this is going to go down as like one of my all-time favorite movies. Yep, I'm, I'm right there with you. Five, this is my favorite film of the year so far. I haven't seen anything nearly as good as this. You know, I got to say, this is probably my favorite film of the year, too. Uh, you know, it's a late entry, you know, slipping in in, in November. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely going to be on my list, the top five movies for sure. I mean, in a stronger year, I mean, nothing, a lot of stuff didn't really come out this year, you know, COVID and all that. 
But even in like a really strong year, I, I don't, I don't see this outside of my top three. I mean, the same way I felt like over the last like I don't know, 10, 15 years, like there's been certain films, you know, like the Black Coat's Daughter and like stuff like that, mm-hmm. where they're like, all right, this is like the new shit. This is like the new age of filmmaking within genre fiction. That's how I feel like this is like one of those types of movies where it's like a, a, a sort of harbinger of like where things can go within the, the sci-fi horror realm, like that genre realm, you know? Yeah. I feel like the new masters are starting to emerge. Definitely. Whereas, you know, and, and Brandon Cronenberg, House Perkins, uh, Ben Wheatley, you know, those, those are guys that are going to be, they're young. They're going to be making interesting stuff for, a long time to come, you know, and it may not always succeed, but I think it'll always be interesting. No matter what any of those guys do. Totally, man. Yeah. So yeah, awesome. everyone go out there and check this out, man. Try to support this as much as you possibly can. Cause it's, uh, this is still an indie film, man. This is like an indie movie. Yeah. It, it doesn't look like it though. Does it like, it looks expensive. They got a lot out of this movie. They did. They did. I'm not sure what the budget was, but I mean, it couldn't have been too much, but they made it work. All right, man. Thanks for listening. And, uh, you know, we'll catch you guys next week. Take care. Take care, everyone.